Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And Julie, you know what's been in the, the news recently? Wiener's wiener. Well, yeah, yeah, but, but, but below the headlines. But, uh, okay, yes, yes. Uh, very important technological advances about drones. Yes, tiny robots. Tiny robots. Tiny robots. They could be the the proverbial fly on the wall, on the proverbial wall, in the room where... Of Wiener's room. Of of Wiener's room, yeah. Right, but we wouldn't necessarily want that. Right. I think that we have enough media streaming about him. We don't necessarily need a micro drone hanging out in his bedroom. Exactly. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, the New York Times had a great article called War Evolves with Drones, Some Tiniest Bugs. And uh, also the the larger, more conventional drones uh, were recently in the news. Uh, they were the ones that gathered intelligence on Osama bin Laden's Pakistani hideaway using one of the new stealth drones. Uh, so this is a technology that um, is getting a lot of traction these days, and it's pretty important. And the micro drone thing is incredibly cool and definitely feeds into my paranoia <laughs> about privacy. And your paranoia is that tiny robots are listening to every word you say and watching you change clothes or something? Yes. Huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Perv tiny robots <laughs> outside my window wearing little trench coats. Well, it's uh, it's interesting uh, talking about paranoia because uh, Iran, uh, the, the government of Iran, has uh, has shown some paranoia that and I'm not <laughs> saying it's it's uh, it's 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 bad paranoia <laughs> because uh, uh, they've they've been uh, there've been a couple of stories in the last few years uh, in uh, 2008. Mm-hmm. They. Um, they arrested a um, quote arrested uh, two pigeons that were uh, suspected of spying near a uranium enrichment facility, and in 2007, uh, 14 squirrels were uh, supposedly captured that were armed with state-of-the-art espionage equipment. Right. Um, which these sound ridiculous, arresting squirrels and and uh, and and pigeons, but but the, the charge was here that these were animals that had been um, geared up with some sort of uh, espionage equipment and were being used by an outside force, probably the United States. To see what they were doing, right? So, but imagine that that paranoia taking a step farther to where it's this, where it's the, the paranoia is that the squirrels may not actually be squirrels; they may be robots. The birds may be robots spying on us. The bugs may actually be robots spying on our every move. And uh, and if and certainly if you're a country like Iran, mm-hmm. uh, this could be a very well possibility in the near future. Well, and also think the context too. I mean, with Stuxnet in Iran, which we know is the computer virus that was developed to essentially like bring down their um, nuclear capacity. Yeah, right? shut down the system. Yeah. So you can understand why they might take a look around a park and start to get a little bit paranoid about the nearest chipmunk. Right. Especially since this is where the technology has been headed mm-hmm. and and where it's continuing to uh, to to head with uh, with with some real impressive speed. Yeah. And, and when we talk about a drone, let's and particularly a micro drone, let's talk about what this is. This is essentially a super fancy remote controlled plane yes. and it's an unmanned aerial vehicle. Yes. Generally, with some uh, degree of autonomy. Yes. Um, there's a there's an important distinct like uh, the, the most famous examples are the Predator and, mm-hmm. the, and the Reaper, which are have been just two st- standout uh 
aerial drones yeah. uh, for the U.S. military. Uh, and we have an article on, on both of these uh, on the How Stuff Works website. So if you go to the How Stuff, How Stuff Works, go to the search bar, put in Predator or put in a Reaper, and you'll uh, you'll get a really nice article. That'll yeah, it, it'll tell you everything yeah. under the hood. It's yeah. very cool. Because we're not going to really go into the hood with these in this podcast, uh, but uh, but they are really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, ju- I mean, just the technology, uh, you know, not any judgments on how they're used, but um, – but uh, but it's really interesting technology. So uh, it basically comes down to uh, all of these things are what we call an in the loop system. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're not they're not really robots out there. You're not you know you're not creating a machine and saying hey go out and kill go out and do this job right uh, and then come back and tell me how it went. On the other hand, it's not a guy sitting there you know uh, and controlling it the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's programmed to a certain degree. Yeah, it's uh, it's essentially uh, someone is at at the controls to uh, to dictate the application of lethal force, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of a hybrid between autonomy and remote control, and uh, that's basically the state of uh, these uh, UAVs, these um, these unmanned aerial vehicles mm-hmm. that uh, that are out there, uh, really in in most of the skies over uh, military zones that uh, that the U.S. is uh, engaged in. That's right, and there there are two different types. There's a surveillance drones, right, right? and there are combat drones, right. with missiles. Yeah, it's surveillance a- like the. Um, um, it would be like a, a predator just uh, just seeing what the lay of the land is, right? Or, or in this case, what we were talking with Osama bin Laden, used to tell where uh, a target is, and then the means of reaching that target may actually just be troops or yeah, or and a they, special it, it's, forces it's, team. It's very unusual that they will use a combat drone to take out um, like a a compound like. Um, some up in lands, which they did not, but it, you know, from time to time they've taken out Al Qaeda members if they were, say, driving um, in a car, you know, across the highway or whatever. They would use um, one of these drones to blow up the car. Right. But again, this is unusual. It's more likely used for surveillance. But um, obviously, if it's a combat drone and it's got missiles, then there's a higher level of engagement with the person who's right. controlling it. Um, so this is from a Wired uh, article. Rather, this is from their, their Danger Room, their blog. Um, it says, unmanned aerial vehicles are a huge growth industry for the U.S. and its closest allies and the source of one of America's greatest military advantages. Starting in the mid-1990s, the unarmed Predator drone helped the U.S. build an unprecedented, persistent surveillance system capable of spotting targets around the clock. Later armed with missiles, the Predator became an aerial sniper picking up hundreds of, ins- of insurgents in Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, and Pakistan every year. So the Pentagon has scores of communications communication satellites for linking drones and ground troops and imagery analysts. Mm-hmm. And the Pentagon now has some 7,000 aerial drones compared with fewer than 50 just a decade ago. Wow. So as you can see, this is a really important part of uh, how the U.S. is is, is uh, sort of trying to figure out this war on terror, as they're calling it, mm-hmm. and uh, just general security around the world. Yeah, I mean, the advantages here are huge. Uh, just to run through a few of them here, I mean, m- most obviously, you replace putting a soldier into a dangerous situation. Yes. And, uh, and that's why there's, there's, there's a lot of effort towards creating land-based, uh, drone technology too. Yeah. And there have been a number of, uh, of these, uh, have, have been tested, but no- nothing is really the standard. It hasn't been standardized in the same way that these UAVs are, are ruling the skies now. Um, then, uh, but another important thing, it reduces uh, civilian casualties if used properly, mm-hmm. and uh, if you have sufficient ethical programming developed, which mm-hmm. is that's kind of like looking forward, uh, not so much now. Um, it also acts as a uh, 
looking forward to, it could act as a force multiplier where, um, you know, we talked about this in the loop situation, a yeah. man in the loop where there's a guy controlling it, uh, you know, and he's going to jump in and, you know, do the fine tuning or the uh, application of lethal force. But they're, uh, they're talking about eventually moving it towards a man on the loop where you basically have like one guy manning a team of robots. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'd be these like, you know, maybe six different UAVs, mostly doing their own thing mm-hmm. with one guy supervising and, uh, you know, jumping in to micromanage as need be. But that would be a force multiplier because then you have one, basically have one combat pilot um, in like six places at once. Right. Yeah, which multiplier. is huge. Yeah. Um, so and then then uh, there are a number of other advantages that that break down to the use of robots in warfare, which is uh, you don't have anger, revenge, hunger, fear uh, 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 thrown in there with the, the to, to modify what's going mm-hmm. on in the battlefield, um, and uh, and it's just a, and they can also generally make faster decisions than humans, though that decision making process, of course, is is something that that uh, re- requires a great deal of, of discussion. Yeah, there's been a lot of questions ethically around that, yeah. right? So, um because there's this this growing disconnect between the American public and its wars. And right. the drone, again, it's the, the advantages is that you're not putting anybody in harm's way at least on the American front, right? Right. But there is again that distance between what is, you know, what we're actually doing to someone else and, uh, you know, the decision making process. So the farther the distance is, the easier it is to sort of make that decision, right? Right. It's, I mean, it comes back to the thing where it just makes waging war potentially mm-hmm. easier and killing potentially easier. Because I mean, on one hand, like what's the huge, um, like, like what's the worst thing that an army, uh, a government engaged in military activity wants to see? Uh, and that is, uh, uh, images of coffins coming home with uh, with dead servicemen and mm-hmm. women in it. You, you know, that's just that's like, you know, PR nightmare thing right. to be avoided. We've seen it, you know, banned in the past. Uh, but if but if you remove that where suddenly not, there's like no risk to servicemen and women, you know, mm-hmm. suddenly there are minimal risk. Like like it becomes a situation where the, the fear of of one's own death or the fear of death of of, of ones you one cares about or just mm-hmm. seeing the carnage. You're not going to see the carnage on your own side because of all these robots. No, but of course the problem is, is that, uh, and we've seen this mm-hmm. time and again, Afghanistan, uh, where you have civil, civilian casualties. Yeah. And, um, the reason is, is that when, when you've got this sort of technology, it's essentially painting a target. They call right. it painting a target. Uh, with a laser, there, there's a, a host of variables that the computer has to calibrate the system for. So that includes wind speed, direction, and other battlefield variables. So something can go wrong. It's very possible in any technology. There's going to be a margin of error and right. deaths are going to happen. Well, even if it works perfectly, if you're, you're using a, uh, basically a robotic army against a human insurgents, yes. Humans are going to die on one side and robots will occasionally crash on the other. And it's, uh, there's a, there's a certain, there's a large, uh, inequity there. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And again, uh, the, the main problem here is this question of autonomy mm-hmm. as we go forward with this technology, because it will become more and more autonomous, right? Right. This is the idea. I mean, t- you know, typically technology doesn't go backward, right? So if we create a system that, is more enhanced that can make more decisions than the margin of error could possibly go up. And we've talked with Dr. Arkin from Georgia Tech before, who is a robotics ethicist and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and deals with warfare and robots quite a bit. And he was talking about programming robots with um, the Geneva Protocol, right? Yeah, having this ethical, ethical governor 
in the yeah. robot that yeah. would uh, that would dictate how it's going to carry out its uh, its military actions. Right, which makes sense. I mean, this is a this is a good step forward, right? Because if you can program that, if you can give the algorithm for for you know, if and then, then you can avoid some some of the pitfalls. The problem is that people will point out is that robots do not have a nuanced ability to deal with emotions, and right. we know that emotions, for better or worse, can guide our judgment. Right. So you've you know, on the one hand, you've got the passion of war is reduced with these um, autonomous. Machines, but on the other hand, you know, there's this the empathy and so on and so forth that sort of makes us humus and human and makes us um, create exceptions is not there. Yeah, and I mean, modern warfare, especially, is such a chaotic situation, and we're having there are enough obstacles in just creating a robot that can navigate the human kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's uh, the, the the idea of creating a robot that could that could seamlessly navigate. The environment of war, an environment mm-hmm. that humans cannot even navigate right. uh, without catastrophe, uh, is, uh, is is quite a hurdle to overcome. Yeah, and so, but you know, well, here we've got these micro drones, which at this point they're not lethal, right? They're just surveilling. Right. Um, so to talk a little bit more about the micro drones and, and less about um, drones like the Predator, just kind of consider this stat uh, again. This is from Wired. This is uh, since September 11th, um, the hours the Air Force devotes to flying missions for intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance have gone up 3,100 percent, most of that from increased operations of drones. Every day, the Air Force must process almost 1,500 hours of full motion video and another 1,500 still images, much of it from predators and reapers on around-the-clock combat air patrols. Okay, that is a huge amount of data. Now consider this micro aviary camouflage, this micro drone, um, these, you know, tiny little drones that are being developed and how much data they're going to be amassing. But before we talk about that, we should probably talk about just the micro aviary um, drone because it's pretty cool. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get back to all of this. Uh, so hang in there one second. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. And we're back. We're talking about biomimicry, trying to make a a drone that looks like a bird, flies like a bird, or or flies like an insect, uh, depending on you know which which direction they're going there. But this is fascinating in that biomimicry is. generally uh, more involved in I want to solve a problem, mm-hmm. like an engineering problem mm-hmm. or design problem of some kind. Instead of trying to create some sort of like reinvent the wheel, I'm just going to look at the way uh, um, nature has solved this problem through uh, millions of years of evolution. Yeah. So, you know, it's stuff like I want to make a swimsuit that uh, allows the swimmer to uh, to move faster through the water. Uh, instead of just trying to come up with something off the top of my head, I'm going to look at uh, how shark skin has evolved. Yeah, or and mimic it. Right, right. Or um, or fins. I'm going to look at dolphins and see how they can actually like eject themselves into the right. air and so on and so forth. Yeah, we actually have a couple of articles on biomimicry on the website. Uh, if you go to HowStuffWorks.com and you just throw biomimicry into the search bar, you'll find a couple of them. I think I may have written two of them. Or you one probably of them. did. I don't know. Yeah. Or a handful of them. Yeah. Um, but from my understanding, they, they are focusing more on insects right now rather than birds 
um, and I'm, I'm assuming that they've done birds so far because it's very hard to get, you know, smaller and smaller. Right. But birds are a little bit more difficult to mimic because of their musculature and um, because of the energy it takes right. to get them. Well, yeah, born. that's the interesting thing about this, because most, like I say, biomimicry is about I need to solve a problem. So I'm going to see how nature did it. Right. This is more about I mean, there's a, in robotics, there is a, there's also a lot of interest in how insects move and behave because it's it's a. Sometimes it's a simple cognitive model mm-hmm. to look at in terms of how it's thinking. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, you know, trying to create something that's going to move across the floor. Uh, some, oftentimes, like a spider design just makes more sense yeah. than, than trying to make it walk like a human. So, uh, but, but in this, where they're trying to make a drone resemble uh, the animal form. Uh, and, and certainly when we're talking about something that flies, uh, the uh, w- nature is kind of a, Forced to follow this uh, this winged model, this mm-hmm. flapping winged model, which is really not um, all that 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 doesn't make a lot of sense from an energy standpoint. It's not you have to spend a lot of energy to flap flap wings, but uh, nature has not yet figured out how to evolve the rotor blade, uh, right. so uh, so they're 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 forced to flap. Um, but uh, we've all seen stats about like hummingbirds about how much food they have to consume and how much energy they blow through to to flap those tiny wings so fast. Yeah, it's like twelve hundred heartbeats per minute or something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like some of them have to go into basically a state of hibernation mm-hmm. at, every night just because that's because they, they can't burn any more energy mm-hmm. um, because it's not energy efficient. Yeah, right. So they're having to when creating a flap a flapping winged robot, um, you're you're having to pursue. Uh, an, an energy inefficient design, right? Uh, when you could really make a more energy efficient design, right? Because they're just not being inspired by it; they're actually trying to mimic it right. so that nobody can tell that it's an actual robotic hummingbird yeah. <laughs> spying on you, right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a disingenuous form of biomimicry. Yeah, it's interesting. There's the, the hummingbird drone that they unveiled. Um, it's it's still a prototype, but it can rapidly beat its wings, and it can propel uh, at 11 miles per hour and even perch on a windowsill. The problem is when you look at it, you know, if you just kind of, if you glanced and didn't really Mm -hmm. look at it carefully, okay, yeah, there's, I see a bird, right? But when you look at it, it actually looks really inelegant. It moves, you know, kind of awkwardly. It looks mechanical. It reminds me completely of Bebo the owl from Clash of the Titans. Oh, gosh, yes. Yes. The, The robotic owl that does the, yeah. Which I love, yeah. But I don't really think would make a great micro drone, right? Because it's yeah. very obvious. Well, plus this hummingbird drone, it says U.S. Air Force on the wing. It's like that's a dead giveaway. <laughs> yeah, it's a little obvious. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they're they're important because these micro drones could be used to get a much better view of a myriad things, like natural disasters, floods, fires. Um, you know, if if the, the sex lives of politicians. Yes. Yeah. Wieners, wiener. Um, they're used in aerial photography and, and they're even used in wildlife footage, which are seen in nature documentaries. So, and, and again, like, you know, if a building implodes and there's, uh, you know, a lot of debris, these are things that we can use to get a better beat on things. It's not just, you know, used for warfare. So they're really interesting. And, uh, it kind of makes me wonder, like, if one day we're all going to have our very own micro drone that we use, Hmm. like, I don't know, in, in conjunction with our, an iPhone app, you know, so that we're on a zip line on vacation, you know, you just throw up your micro drone, get some really great footage. Or you leave your micro drone behind to attend meetings when you go out of town. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. On the, but anyway, I digress. We should probably get back to the the actual military, military applications of it. Because if you, if you throw it into this, uh, this, 
this overall design, this this idea of like a robotic military. You mm-hmm. can easily imagine like the the micro drones sort of doing the first level scouting uh, and surveillance, and then there's there uh, there's like a higher level of surveillance mm-hmm. with uh, with larger flying uh, vehicles, and then you have the the attack UAVs that'll that'll actually hit uh, the target yeah. when, when needed. And then meanwhile, like all the humans are back at their base. Just, uh, yeah, yeah, and they're also. I wanted to mention this too. They're trying to increase the area that they can actually surveil. And right now they have what is called a soda straw view, uh, you know, with the, with the drones. But um, they're looking at a Gorgon Stare technology. That's what they're calling it. Gorgon Stare? Yeah, and again... Here, That's another great band title right now. Well, and another and, Clash and of the Titans reference, right? Oh, Medusa. it is. Oh, because the idea is it's like a lot of little straws that are going to be like the, the snake heads on the Medusa. I'm assuming so. That yeah, or it's okay, just going to freeze sense. the landscape that it's looking at. It seems like they would just want to. They must be really into Greek mythology or Clash of the Titans because it seems like you just want to, um, you know, compare it to the 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 eye structure of a fly. Yeah, I don't know. Whoever is uh, it, it doing all the marketing for this really has a good beat on on histrionics. I have to say, <laughs> uh, because I mean, the the uh, stealth drone that was used in Pakistan was called the Beast of Kandahar. I mean, that's how can you not love that? Uh, but anyway, this Gorgon Stare technology can capture live video of an entire city, but that requires 2,000 analysts to process the data feeds from a single drone compared with 19 analysts per drone today. That being said, this is something, a technology that's going to be used pretty soon. Um, that's not much of a force multiplier, though, if, it, if that many people were required to sift through the data. But, exactly, exactly. But and then again, it's, you couldn't actually send those people out to perch on uh, somebody's shoulder in a war zone or, uh, you know, in, in a, an enemy nation's uh, capital or something. Uh, that's the rub. We cannot yeah. shrink ourselves yet. 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 Uh, but, of course, what does this do? This is kind of freaking out some people. Why? Uh, because uh, this could be used uh, for non-warfare applications. And, in fact, there's a great Washington Post article called Domestic Use of Aerial Drones by Law Enforcement Likely to Prompt Privacy Debate. Ah. And you know how this feeds into my whole privacy thing. Um, by 2013, the FAA expects to have formulated new rules that would allow police across the country to routinely fly lightweight, unarmed drones up to 400 feet above ground, high enough for them to be largely invisible, eyes in the sky, and uh, it, it's it's cost like 50000 bucks, so it's really not that expensive. It's actually less than a police helicopter, so it's very likely that this is going to be used a lot in the future. Uh, but it can, the, the rub is, is that they can record the activities of the public, uh, below with high resolution infrared and thermal imaging cameras. Huh. So you'll reach a point where someone, like, people will scatter. They're like, oh my goodness, there's a police pigeon flying. It's not, you know, it's not a real pigeon. It's, it's mechanical. Well, it's this, for this us. application, then it would be an actual, like, Cessna, like, drone. Okay. But, you know, obviously, um, this, it could become miniature or, or it could become cost effective enough to get a micro drone. I mean, we're talking about 2013 that this is going to happen. Who knows about 2020, 2030, 2040, microdrones might be in use all the time. Right. What does that mean? My bonfire when I'm playing Kumbaya on my guitar? They're going to be seeing that. Huh. Nobody needs to see that. <laughs> now, the, the the idea of like a, a, a totally automated military, like it, it, 
it, it, it fascinates me on two, well, on multiple levels, but two things immediately come to mind. First of all, the dark crystal. Have you seen the dark crystal? I've not seen the dark okay. crystal. I feel like it comes up though, like every once in a while in our conversations and, well, I, and I have to see it. Well, it's, it's a classic. And, uh, but in, but in, in this world of the dark crystal, you have the evil Skeksis who all kind of look like grotesque vultures in, in costume. And you know, they're, they're cowardly and they stick to their, their castle and, uh, they want to hunt down the Gelflings, uh, that's their thing. And, uh, and so they, they send out these, like, these crystals that are on bat wings mm-hmm. that spy everywhere to try and find the Gelflings. And if they find the Gelflings, then they send out these giant beetle monstrosities that, uh, shamble into the, um, the, the village to try and chop them to pieces mm-hmm. or bring them back, uh, captive. And, uh, so I would hate to see, like, you know, our nation follow the Skeksy model of military conquest to where, <laughs> We're a bunch of, uh, you know, disgusting vulture creatures who just send out our, our strange creations to, uh, get what we want from the surrounding world because it becomes easier to do so. Suddenly you need more right. resources. Well, I don't have to actually fight a war. I just send off these robots to, uh, to secure it for me. It becomes this, uh, you know, kind of a, a robotic surgical colonialism. Um, and then on the other hand, what happens when you have two opposing forces, each with a robot military? Does does war ever end if two robot armies are fighting each other? Well, like it just becomes who runs out of parts yeah. first, right? Yeah, it's interesting because right now the United States is certainly on the cutting edge of this. Right, but it's, everybody wants in on the game. Like it, it, and they will. And, and in fact, uh, the, the Danger Room on Wired talks about how China is actually really like a couple decades behind on this technology. And they will eventually um, catch up. But, I mean, for right now... You know, we're, we're the big game changer on this. Right. But I mean, this is, this is the whole thing. Like in, sure, we're game changers now, but 20, 30 years from now, how is it going to be used against us? And, or will it be used against us? And that's, that's the danger whenever you introduce a new technology, right? Yeah. It, you're, you're actually essentially introducing it against yourself at some point. Well, I guess I, I just hope that if, if, if worse came to worse and like the robots of US and the robots of China were about to fight. Mm-hmm. That Japan's Mecha Godzilla would would jump in <laughs> and just calm everybody down, like like pulled up both of its claws and be like, "All right, guys, settle it. Let's settle down." Uh, yeah, yeah, most certainly. And then hopefully their technology will have filtered down to us, and we can all just pull over uh, our vending machine um, cloaks, right? That they've developed. Well, they're not really cloaks, but you know what I'm talking vending about. Vending machine cloaks. Have to, I've told you about this before, oh, right? Where you look like a vending machine, right? It's disappear? actually like this little zip-up thing that you, yeah, that you erect. You know, it's it's portable. You can have it in your backpack. You whip it out. You set it up like a tent, and all of a sudden, you look like a vending machine. Well, that's, see, that's good. Yeah. I like I like that use of our ingenuity rather than let's figure out better ways to blow each other up. True, true. But I will say a micro drone app would be pretty cool on a zip line. Would it? Like instead of getting on the zip line, you would send you a micro drone? You get on the zip line, but then you have a micro drone who actually filming you while you're on the micro drone. Oh, well, yes, that would be good. And I should also, also mention too that, uh, Google CEO, uh, I can't remember the name, um, of this cat, but he purchased a micro drone for his own personal use, which freaked a bunch of people out because of course they thought that Google was going to start using instead of street view, you know, micro drones. Huh. Well, I would be more concerned if, like, it seems like the, the a better use of that for a large corporation would be uh, corporate espionage. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if we see something flying around here that looks like Bebo, we will know corporate espionage is it's going, going on. on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So hopefully everybody uh, knows to be a little more afraid of that uh, unidentified bug or bird uh, buzzing around uh, outside the office now. 
Uh, so let's turn our attention to a little listener mail. All right, Eric writes in and says, just wanted to share a quickie with you. Uh, it's untrue that the platus- platypus does not get respect. We respect the animal here in Oregon. The platypus trophy is awarded every year to the winner of the Civil War the NCAA rivalry football game held between the saintly, beautiful, and awesome University of Oregon Ducks and the evil, ugly, vile Oregon State Beavers. Because the two team mascots are the the Ducks and the Beavers, someone carved a beautiful wooden platypus that is now used as the trophy. That's pretty awesome. Well, that is pretty awesome, yeah. Yeah. Because it's kind of, not really, but it's sort of thematically. Amalgamation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nicely done. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, so... um, Hey, if you guys want to share anything with us, you can, uh, first of all, find us on Twitter and Facebook. We are Blow the Mind on both of those, and uh, we populate both those feeds with all sorts of cool links and thoughts and, uh, and you know, stuff about our upcoming episodes. And you can always drop us a line at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. 